All right, well, before I begin, we've had a full morning already, and uh, I have six pages of notes, <laughs> so so we need prayer, first of all, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, but I have, I have two announcements that, that I want to make. First of all, happy Memorial Day. I just want to say that I praise the Lord for servicemen and women who have gone before and who serve now, that we can, amen. Honored to know you, and there are many I don't know, and uh, still praise the Lord for you. Second of all, uh, if you would be willing to stay for about four or five minutes after the sermon, we have an item of business that, that we'd like to discuss, and so if you'd be willing to, to stick around just for a few minutes, it won't, it won't even be five minutes. Uh, I would appreciate that. So, Well, as I said, we need prayer, and um, as we were... I was thinking about speaking, and, and I was watching Mike with the clicker, and I was thinking, you know what? First um, Corinthians 2 really comes into play here, and that's where Paul said, I, you know, I don't speak with fancy words and lots of eloquence. Uh, I want your faith to be in the power of God, not in my slick tongue. And so um, I think Mike would chime in with me on that one. That That's absolutely where we have our desire this morning. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. It never changes. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't evaporate. It doesn't lead us astray. It's always there. Thank you for your spirit that you've given us to uh, live within us, to guide us and lead us. I pray that you would open our hearts this morning pray that we would be receptive to what you have for us. Pray that you would open our minds and our eyes and open the word to us, Lord. Show us what you'd have us to learn today. We commit this time to you and we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are in 1 John chapter 2 and we're going to be looking at uh, verses 18 and following, but just by way of introduction, <laughs> we're going to be talking about truth and about lies. We're going to be using words like heretic, which is not a common thing today. And even the idea of truth is, is not popular, is it? We, we want truth to be flexible. We want it to mean what we want to mean. And I think even just a couple of presidents ago in a very famous sentence, that he said when an accusation was made against him, he said, well, that all depends on what your definition of is, is. See, the, the, the truth for you and the truth for me, my generation wants to believe, can be very different, can be even mutually exclusive. And that's no problem. That's our perspective on truth. That's the way we see truth nowadays. When you open the Bible and start reading in the Bible, you, you, you find a very different take on truth. And particularly John here. You know, it was mentioned a couple of weeks ago that John is kind of a black and white guy. Like he really likes to draw contrasts between truth and lies, between light and darkness. And he's, he's going to do that today. So let's, let's take up and read in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. 
Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. So today we're going to be talking about heretics and genuine Christians. Heresy is not a, not a common idea. It's not a common term nowadays. It, it basically means a, a deviation from truth and more specifically a deviation from biblical truth usually associated with the gospel. Usually it's some change that's been made to the gospel. That's, that's heresy. And uh, like I said, we don't, we don't use that term very often, and, and it probably even has a, a bad name. Probably makes us think of you know, certain kinds of churches uh, you know, several decades ago, or, or you know, maybe it makes us think of, of you know, John Calvin and Martin Luther you know, thundering away in, in Europe. And, uh, but he talks about heresy here. He talks about heretics here. And he starts off by saying, children, it is the last hour. It is the last hour. And he says some things about Antichrist. As you know, as you have heard the Antichrist, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And therefore we know that it is the last hour. Now, quick quiz. When did John write First John? Not recently, right? Okay. You know... Almost 2,000 years ago, a little, little more than 1,900 years ago probably is when he wrote it. So if he's saying it's the last hour then, what does he mean? First of all, is he wrong? Well, I, I seriously doubt that he's wrong. But what does he mean? What does it mean that it's the last hour? Well, I was thinking about this and, and, and I wondered, what has to happen before the end comes? What's the list of things? Before the end comes, that, that has to happen. What, what has to be? What's left to be accomplished before Christ comes for His church? Nothing. Not a single thing. It is imminent. And so I thought it was ironic that it would be. Ironic is not the right word. That it would be prophesied that uh, you know last Saturday was supposed to be the end, because it could have been the end last Friday. Or it could be the end now. Like It's imminent. It is imminent. There's nothing that has to be accomplished between now and the end. And I think that's what he means here. When he says it is the last hour, everything is in play. Everything is out there as it should be. Christ has already come to this earth. He's died his sacrificial death. He's been buried. 
raised and ascended back to the Father. Everything's been accomplished. And so now Christ is, he's, he's been revealed. He's out there. He's alive. And his people are, are us, right? Are we? There's nothing less, left to happen. And the enemy starts making his attack. The Christ has been revealed. His attacks come. His attacks come. And so what, is, what does Antichrist mean? It means against Christ. So it means that, that ideas are presented that are against Christ. It also means instead of Christ. If, if you uh, think back to Jesus in Mark chapter 13, he was answering a question from his disciples. And they were asking about, you know, when, when, when will these things happen? When will the end be? And here's part of Jesus' answer. He said, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. Antichrist means against Christ, but it also means instead of or in place of Christ. And so John is saying these false teachers that we've talked about all these months, these false teachers have come and they've presented. They're not presenting themselves as Christ. They are presenting a false Christ. They're they're in in fact actually fighting against him. And John says that's one way that we know that the last hour is upon us because these antichrists have have come forward and he's saying these false teachers are those antichrists the antichrists the liars he'll he'll call them later they showed up and they proved that it's the last hour but they don't stick around let's look at their departure for a little bit the liars departure these guys showed up and they joined their church and they worked their way into a position of leadership, of teaching. And then they started trying to preach some kind of a false Christ, some false doctrine about God. People wouldn't hear it. And eventually, what happened with these false teachers? They left. They separated. They, they, they took off. And they, they weren't in the midst of these people anymore. He said they, they went out. They went out from us. But they weren't really of us. They weren't really like us. I have the picture in my mind, and I'm not sure exactly what kind of salad dressing it is, but the kind you have to shake up because it's like vinegar and oil and stuff, and it doesn't mix well. doesn't mix at all, does it? You can shake it up, and it seems like it's all together, and you better pour it on your salad and eat it quick because if you sit it down, set it down on the table there for five or ten minutes, it's going to be separated again. And that's the idea here. That's, that's the difference between these false teachers and the genuine believers that John is writing to. And he's, he's going to make the connection that no lie is of the truth. Just like oil and water. You can put them in the same container, but they don't mix. They're not the same. It's like dross separating from, from gold. See, they, they, their departure actually indicates that they were, in a sense, genetically different from the true believers. They were essentially different from the true believers or else they would have continued with them. But they hung around for a while. No one was buying their message. And so instead of staying with them and changing their message, maybe starting to believe some things differently, they left and they went out on their own. We'll do this ourselves. Now it's interesting here. It says they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us, that it might become plain. That's a purpose clause. 
Now, whose purpose? Was it their purpose? It wasn't John's purpose. It wasn't the, the false teacher's purpose. They weren't trying to indicate that they weren't of them. It was God's purpose. Over time, these people separated from the church, just like that oil and vinegar, vinegar are going to separate from one another. They separated and they went out. And it was God's divine purpose. It was his, uh, his, his mercy, really, on this church to show that these people, they're actually not of you. You thought they were, but as time went on, they separated. And their departure ultimately is a good thing, even though it's painful for the church. So the liars appeared, but then they departed. Because of the legitimate difference, legitimate difference that exists between these two groups, the genuine believers and these false teachers. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Now, my, my translation here says you all have knowledge. Some of yours will say you have all knowledge. Well, that's because it's a question in the Greek. Where does the all go? Is it you all as opposed to they all? Because their departure indicated that they all are not of us. But you all have knowledge. Is that is that what it is? Or is it that they have all knowledge? You have all knowledge. I think either way is, is uh, understandable because it's all knowledge regarding the gospel. We're going to talk about what knowledge really it is. But he talks about anointing. What does anoint mean? That's another word we don't use hardly at all. But anoint, the, the basic idea is to smear, like to smear on something. So when I was in high school and I had a flat top, I would anoint my head with whatever that stuff was. I can't remember what kind of hair goo it was to get it to stand up. That's the idea. It's to smear. Like, so it's, it's an anointing. It's a... It's, it's something that's, that's put on you that, that, that changes, um, changes you for a while in the Old Testament. Who, who was anointed in the Old Testament? Well, prophets and, and priests and kings usually were anointed, and it was something that was temporary. When, when David prays, take not your Holy Spirit from me, he's, he's referring to the office of kingship and that anointing that goes with that. And if God were to remove that anointing, then you end up with someone like King Saul where the anointing had been removed. So that's the idea of anointing. Well, that's, that's the Old Testament. We're not in the Old Testament. We're reading the New Testament. So what's the difference? Well, the Old Testament idea of anointing was usually pouring oil on someone and kind of you know, rubbing it on them, and, and they become associated with it and things like that. But the New Testament idea is the Holy Spirit. We've been anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he says here, you've been anointed by the Holy One or the anointing that's from the Holy One. That, that Holy One is Jesus. Jesus gives that anointing of the Holy Spirit. So what, is, what does the Spirit do in the life of the believer? What role does the Holy Spirit play in our lives? Well, we're going to talk a lot more about that. I've, I've got quite a bit more of that coming later. But for now, let's just leave it at this, that His anointing us with the Holy Spirit means that we have true knowledge about the gospel, we have true knowledge about who God is, and we have true knowledge about who we are. The distinction here between these false teachers 
and true Christians is that these false teachers, they went after some mystical idea, some mystical spiritual understanding. It wasn't written down in any scripture anywhere. It was just a, a, an experience that they had had. And if you want the same experience, then come with me and you can have the same experience. That's kind of what it was. It was a, a mystical, spiritual, mysterious, undefined and unverifiable spirituality or, or experience in, in their lives. But the difference for the believer is that we have knowledge straight from God by means of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He teaches us truly about the gospel. He teaches us truly about who God is and about who we are. It says we, we already know the truth. We know the truth. It's not some fable. And we're going to get into that. That's, the, that's a huge point here we're going to get into. That's the, um, our third point. But he's saying, look, I knew Jesus. I walked with him. I talked with him. I touched him. He was real and physical, and he rose physically from the dead after they had physically crucified and killed him. He's physical. He's real. Remember the first paragraph of our book here. And he's saying that is true knowledge rooted in history, not in somebody's mind. Rooted in history. You can look it up. It's there. And that's different from the mysterious paths that, uh, that these false teachers were trying to lead them down. He says, no lie is of the truth. Really, lies don't grow out of truth. Just like these false teachers didn't grow out of genuine believers. There was a, there was a distinct difference from the beginning. No lie is of or is part of the truth. So there are some basic differences between the heretics that left the church and, and the genuine believers so let's, let's identify the heresy a little bit. First of all, let's talk about its nature. Its nature. Verses 20 through, 22 through 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So the nature of the heresy is that They've denied that Jesus is the Christ. Well, what does that mean? It means essentially they've, they've denied the incarnation. They've denied that the eternal second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became physical man like me, but without the sin. They deny that. They, they deny that, that Jesus was fully God and was fully man at the same time. They've, they've ditched that whole idea. And see, for them, Gnostic, Gnostic teaching or this, the, the, the teaching of these false teachers, that was no problem at all to deny that. They, they had the idea of an eternal son. God, God has a son. That's no big deal. But he didn't become flesh because for them, flesh was evil. This body was evil. And so they, they, they flat out denied that. And John's saying, someone who denies that Jesus, the man, is Christ the son of God, is actually a liar. He's propagating lies, and that's what he's accusing them of doing. And apparently that was part, part of their false teaching. 
Well, the incarnation wasn't just denied back in John's day and then now it's all good, right? And we all buy it. What are some ways the incarnation is, is denied nowadays? Just think about our own culture, our own world that we live in. What are some ways that it's denied? Well, first of all, it's denied by, by atheism, right? Or philosophical naturalism, the idea that, that there is no spiritual world. There's only this physical, physical world. That's all we have. Of course, they would deny that an eternal God that they, that they deny would ever become flesh. So that's a pretty obvious one. Another one is um, agnostics. Like the, the idea that, you know, all, all roads lead, lead to, to heaven. You know, the, it doesn't matter where you lean your ladder up against, you're going to get to the top anyway, even though you're against the wrong house. The, the, uh, the agnostic idea that whatever your perception of God is or whatever your idea of heaven is or eternal life or spirituality, that's fine as long as you're, uh, you know, as, as long as you're serious about it and that's, that's what you genuinely believe, then that's okay. That denies the incarnation too because the incarnation suddenly makes relationship with God dependent upon one man. It comes right down to Jesus. If you want to have relationship with God, you've got to deal with Jesus. So I call that agnostic soup. Another idea is deism. Deism is, is the idea that God created everything and got it working and then steps back and doesn't touch it anymore. He just kind of watches what goes on and doesn't get involved in human, human uh, or physical world at all. It's like he started a basketball spinning and then steps away and lets it spin. He won't interact. So, of course, eternal God is not going to be- become involved. He's not going to become flesh. He's not going to become a man, Jesus. So that's another denial of the incarnation. And finally, Christian cults who change who Jesus is. It's also a denial that Jesus is the Christ. Different cults teach different things, but it almost always comes back to who, the, who Jesus is. Is he God? Well, yeah, he's God, but he's not, he's not really a man like us. It was some special thing happened. Or is he man? Yeah, he's man, but he's, he's, not, he's not fully God. Or he's somehow differently related to God or something different. There's always a tweaking with the person of Jesus and who Jesus is. That's another denial of the incarnation. So that's the nature of the heresy. So what about its effect? What's the effect? Well, he mentions the effect there in the second half of 22 and into 23. He says, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. I thought he was talking about the Son. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. The effect is they've lost the Son and through him they've lost the Father. Because the Father has revealed himself ultimately in the person of Jesus. And if you want to get around Jesus, you will not get to the Father. Because Jesus is his revelation of who he is. We have to deal with the Son and I think these false teachers would probably say, you know, we may not believe in the incarnation. We don't, we don't think the Son is who you think he is. Or we don't think Jesus is who you say he is. We don't have any problem with the Father at all. And John's saying, look, if you deny the Son, you don't have the Father either. Can't deny the Son. So the, the effect is that they've lost relationship with the Father. 
because of what they did with the son. You see, Jesus is the, the keystone. Without Jesus, we could never have our sins forgiven. We could never be made holy. And we would have no righteousness before God that would make it so that we could come into his presence or so that we could have relationship with him. Jesus is the key and they've denied him. So that's the bad news about the heresy. Now for the good news. Let's talk about its correction. The heresy's correction. And it's almost always found in the person of Jesus, in Christology. Who, who is Jesus? And he says, only those who confess the Son, that is, only those who confess that the man Jesus is the heavenly, eternal Son of God, is the Christ. Only those people actually have the Father. Read the last part of 23 there. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. That's the way to know him. And we'll build on this a little bit, but I just want to ask you the question that I asked myself as I was writing this. How's my Christology? What do I think about Jesus? You know, I visited other countries where Jesus is perpetually a little baby. He's the baby born on Christmas. And isn't that sweet? And that's Jesus. And yeah, he's God, but look, he can't even talk. He needs a diaper. Is that, is that our Jesus? Is that, is that the Jesus I confess? Or do I confess uh, Jesus, my buddy, my pal? Is, is that who he is? Well, he, he is my friend. But he's also eternal God. How's my Christology? What, if I were to ask my neighbor, if you were to ask my neighbor, what does Brennan think of Jesus? What, what would he say? What would he have seen about Jesus in my life? Or if you ask my kids, what does your dad think about Jesus? What does he really believe? Who is Jesus? Getting the person of Christ right is essential, not just for some test. I remember missing a question on a test in college. And the professor told us beforehand, if you miss this question, if you get this wrong, that is heresy. And I missed it. (laughs) But it was because it was a question on a test. I was trying to memorize a line instead of know a person. So that's the correction for the heresy is a proper understanding of who Jesus is. Now let's look at the heresy prevented. 24 through 27. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you've received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Well, what did we hear in the beginning? He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What what did we hear from the beginning? It wasn't all of scripture. I didn't didn't have it all laid out. What, What did I hear from the beginning? I think boiled down, the very basic idea is the gospel, the truths of the gospel. That's what I heard in the beginning. And that's what John would have preached in the beginning. Who Jesus is, who God is, about sin, about righteousness, about judgment. The basics of the gospel. I think that's what he's talking about here. Well, how, how can we let it abide in us? Because it says, uh, let it abide in you. Let Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. And if it does, there are certain results. How do we let it abide in us? Well, real quickly, 
we can cling to it like a life ring. Like we're in the middle of the ocean drowning and here's a flotation device. Cling to it. We can actively bring it to mind, the gospel. Bring it to mind. Remind ourselves of it. Remember it. Think about how it relates to the world around us. When we look at politics or when we look at events going on with weather and strange things like that. When we watch our neighbors and the way they treat one another. When we talk to our kids. Think about how the gospel relates to the world around us. We can try to understand the gospel better. Not just memorize the four spiritual laws or the outline for such and such an evangelism presentation or anything like that. But think about the gospel itself. It is a unity. It is one idea. We can think about it and try to understand it. Another way is to apply it in various areas of our lives. Am I really believing that the only righteousness I have before God is Jesus' righteousness? I'll behave a certain way. If I really believe that he actually died on a cross bearing my sin, I'll behave a certain way. I'll make certain decisions. My life will look differently. So we can apply it in various areas of our lives. We can think about our own problems in light of the gospel and try and solve them based on the gospel. He says here that the gospel abiding in you is a preventative against heresy. We are short on time. (laughs) All right. Also, the second preventative is the anointing abiding in you. The anointing abiding in you. See, we we aren't left with just an idea of the gospel. We aren't left with just that truth to walk us through. But he says, you've been given an anointing. That anointing is the Holy Spirit living within us. And he resonates with that truth of the gospel. See, we have we have both of them together. We're not stuck with with our, our own our own spiritual experiences or working things out on our own without any kind of guidance or even even two of us together trying to figure it out together. We're not stuck on our own with a purely subjective kind of thing. See, because you can you can look at me and ask, uh, you know, do you do you sense the Holy Spirit? And then you can't know whether my answer is a lie or not. If I say, yeah, sure, sure. You have no idea whether it's a lie or not. It's purely subjective in a sense. It's purely subjective. We have both working together. When the gospel is preached and the anointing is within us, then it, it, it works together and the two resonate with one another. And it prevents us from this kind of heresy, from moving into serious error. All right, so we have the Holy Spirit living within us. That's, that's the anointing that we're talking about here. What does the Holy Spirit do in the lives of believers? Well, if you can remember the four letters pure, P-U-R-E, then uh, that's a, a basis for understanding it. First of all, he purifies us from sin. Secondly, he unifies the fellowship of believers. He reveals truth to Christians in various ways, are, and he empowers us for Christian service. Pure, P-U-R-E. He purifies, he unifies, he reveals, and he empowers. And what he's talking about here mostly is the revelation what he reveals to you. He says, you have true knowledge from your anointing. What does the Holy Spirit reveal in our lives? The Holy Spirit reveals God's presence, gives evidence that God is present. He guides and directs God's people. The Holy Spirit gives assurance of our salvation. 
and the Holy Spirit teaches and he illumines. A couple of passages come, come to mind directly here. John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. In our memory verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 12, we receive not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God. Why? For what purpose? For what purpose? That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So this is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to reveal these things. And it will always work in tandem with the gospel truths. They will always work together. will never be separated. Got to have them both at the same time. The anointing, the Holy Spirit, and the gospel. Revelation, truth from the Bible. And he says, you don't need teachers. You don't need any teachers at all. You don't, you don't need that they teach you. Well, so I ask you, why am I up here? Because I'm teaching. Why am I up here? Should I not be? Well, let's ask a, a deeper question. John is writing to them and teaching them that they don't need teachers. So there's got to be something else going on. What he's saying is not that you don't need someone to instruct you, but he's saying you don't need some guru to come and show you the secret path that he's found. Any teaching that we do here at Parkside comes from the Bible. And if it doesn't come from the Bible, then you need to question us, why in the world are we teaching it? I remind myself regularly that Parkside's middle name is Bible. And that's that's on purpose. Because the Bible is where we get our truth. That teaching comes comes from there. So he talks about the gospel abiding in, in you. He talks about the anointing abiding in you. And then he he finishes up with the Christian abiding in Christ. So we read earlier that if you let the gospel abide in you, then you will abide in the Son. We read earlier that the anointing teaches you that you should abide in Him. See, what results from letting the Word of God abide in you is also reinforced by the command of the Holy Spirit. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. The Holy Spirit will always... Lift up Jesus. We'll always proclaim him to you and we'll always urge you to abide in him, to continue in him. So what does abide mean? Well, it means continually to maintain an intimate spiritual relationship or communion with Christ. Continually to maintain that with him. And the Holy Spirit will always push us that direction. And the gospel, all of the Bible, will always push us that same direction. Christ is always lifted up. So then my question for application, how do we do that? Practically speaking, how do we abide in Christ? How do we do that? How do we continually maintain an intimate spiritual relationship with Christ? Well, my wife has reminded me of a a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones in a book called Spiritual Depression. He said this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? That happens a lot. You wake up in the morning and there are thoughts. Do you listen to them? Or do you start talking to yourself? Because your flesh and your heart will lie to you, will lead you astray. But if we're talking to ourselves, particularly the gospel, that's a huge preventative against 
heresy and it'll, it'll help in all areas of our, of our lives. We need to be listening. We need to be talking more to ourselves, not listening to our own, to our own uh, thoughts that rise up from our hearts. So we need to be talking to ourselves and constantly reminding ourselves and others of the truths of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is in us and he will take those truths and he will work them out in our lives from the gospel. And here's, here, here are some thoughts about the gospel and ways, ways that the gospel helps us out practically. This is how we can abide in Christ. The gospel reminds us that God is our creator and our proper attitude towards him is to be humility and submission to him. That would help out in your daily life, wouldn't it? To remember that he's your creator, you're the created, you're the creature, and your attitude towards him should be submission and humility. The gospel reminds us of that. The gospel also reminds us that God is holy and we are sinful. The gospel reminds us that because of of our sinfulness, we are helpless and we are hopeless before him because of that sin nature. It's a stain we can't remove. It's part of our DNA. The gospel reminds us that if it weren't for the holy God sending his one and only son for us, we would be justly condemned to an eternity of hell separated from God. The gospel reminds us that Jesus had to be fully God in order for his sacrifice on the cross to be perfect and sufficient for all of us. And not only did he have to be fully God, he had to be fully man in order for it to apply to any of us. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been like us and he couldn't offer sacrifice for us. The gospel reminds us that Jesus' sacrifice was actually acceptable to God and that's evidenced by the fact that God raised him from the dead and received him back to heaven with him. His offering, his sacrifice was acceptable. And finally, the gospel reminds us that he didn't leave us alone when he went back to the Father. He gave his helper, the Holy Spirit, in our hearts as a guarantee and a guide. And he gave his word, the Bible, in our hearts and in our hands as a guide. So in short, how do we apply this? How do we keep ourselves from falsity, falsehood like these, like these guys were teaching? How do we keep ourselves abiding in Christ? Well, in short, very short, read your Bible. That's a simple sentence, simple instruction, and we skip it. Read your Bible. Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of the gospel. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And remain or abide in Jesus always. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for your Holy Spirit. The anointing that teaches us true truth, true knowledge from you about you, about us, about the gospel. Lord, without your word, without your Holy Spirit, we would be a sad and miserable and lost people, prone to wander. And what would bring us back? Who would bring us back? But thank you that you have given us your word. Lord, help us to remember to crack it open and read it. Find out what it says. Help us to value it more in our daily lives, not just on Sunday mornings or at Bible study or 
something like that. But to value your word in our daily lives. Help us to listen to the Holy Spirit. Help us to be sensitive and respond, be obedient when the Holy Spirit prompts us. And he will always prompt us regarding the Son. Help us to abide in Christ, Lord. Help us to maintain that relationship. We pray for your blessing this week, Lord. Help us to do that. Help us to remember what we've heard today, to remember your word, to remember Jesus, to remember that you didn't leave us alone to do it, that our lives are different because you have made us different. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen.